0: See ancient artifacts up close and long lost ancient scrolls. The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. And the script was used for hundreds of years in ancient history. Here international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Dadnos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. Today we want to talk about horizons of hope. And for those of you who have not been with us, I need to put this in context this morning. We have been journeying through some of the most important prophecies of the book of Daniel and Revelation. We have noticed that right in the centre part of the book of Revelation, there is a conflict over worship, over allegiance. Who will we serve in the end of time is defined by who we serve today in actual fact but who we will serve now we noticed in some of the programs that the angels have been holding back the winds of strife from destroying life on this planet because many people are not ready and so God holds back but there comes a time when God has to let go and then the devil will do what the devil wants to do But there has a time when God has to say, enough is enough. We have to to wrap this thing up. And that's when the devil takes over big time, as we'll see this morning. But I have good news for you in this morning's program. Now, we're going to talk about the seven last plagues, so don't leave right now. Okay, some people are afraid of these things. And you're going to see, well, we might take them seriously. They're in the book for a reason. God does not put anything in this book, but such as is good for us to know. He wants us to make a course correction in our life because he can see what's coming. And he loves his children, as we heard from Iron and Clay this morning about our father. So this morning, let's get into this topic and understand. Then John says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, He says, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now, all through the Bible, you have this statement, the wrath of God. It is everywhere through scripture. One of the most favorite books of many people is the book of Romans, because it tells us how to flee the wrath to come. It tells us how to make an escape from what is to happen. But the context, the, the backdrop of the book of Romans, that probably most famous book for many people, is the wrath of God. That's how the book starts. Uh, in the first two chapters, chapter 2, chapter 3, it says, hey, we're all facing this. We better find a way out of this. All right? So the wrath of God is the seven last plagues. It's part of it. John talks about it. Now, let's notice. The plagues are the result You see, they're the result of a rebellious world that becomes separated from God. And when we're separated from God, we're separated from the source of life and strength and peace. And the devil can take control now, you see. So that's what the plagues are really all about, the result of that. You see, God has to remove his protective hand at a point in time. And then, as we said, all the forces of evil break loose on this planet. And that's what God can see is coming, and he wants us to understand. Now, there's a question that many people have today, that do God's people go through these plagues, or what the Bible calls the tribulation? There are many Christians who feel that, no, we sort of get taken out before that event. But you will remember that the Israelites went through the plagues there in Egypt but God protected them in the plagues. The Bible talks about all that love God will suffer, but God protects his people as you will see. Let's notice what the Bible says. Revelation actually reveals that God's people go through the plagues, but they go through them victoriously. They go through them protected. John says, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. He says from every nation, tribe, people and language. Don't you like that? There is a massive multitude from right across the planet. I love that. Because God is a global lover. Standing before, he says, the throne and before the Lamb. These are they who have what? They have come out of the great tribulation. That's what the Bible calls the plagues. They've come out of them, meaning they've gone through and they've come through the other side because then he talks about how the sun will no longer light on them and so on. And they have washed their robes and they've made them white in the blood of the lamb. That's why they come through, you see. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They've accepted Jesus Christ. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. Neither, he says, shall the sun strike them nor any heat. They've been through, you see, but they haven't been through to the extent that God's that the those who cling to sin and go through these. All right. So he is indicating here, and we'll see it more, God protects his children during this time, during the plagues. In fact, we should expect that. One of the most favorite Psalms in the Bible, Psalm ninety one, talks about that. And I want to read it to you so that you can see God will be with his people. Notice what it says. Those who live in the secret place of the Most High. That means those who make God their strength and their security in life. Those who live in next to God, meaning they have a relationship with him. Those who live in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty like a mother hen gathers her chickens under her wings like we talked about in one of our programs. He shall cover you with his feathers. There it is here. And under his wings you shall trust. Don't you like that language? His truth. Now you will have noticed again and again in this series we've gone back to this book all the time. Because the truth will set us free and the truth will protect you and I in what is about to come into our world. The Bible says the truth is like a like a belt. That holds everything together. His truth, he says, shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor, he says, for the arrow that flies uh, by day, nor for the pestilence, the disease that walks in the darkness that creeps up on us, so to speak, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side, he says, and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Marvelous promise, isn't it? (laughs) Only with your eyes, he says, you shall behold and see the reward of the wicked, meaning those who cling to sin and will not let it go. You will see, tragically, what happens. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your habitation. You've had a a close relationship with God. There shall no evil come, he says, to you. Neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. Then he says these words, which are the famous ones, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Isn't that a marvelous promise? Now, we're going to see these plagues actually are directed at the final deceptions and those who have brought on the earth. You remember the plagues in Egypt, if you've ever read the ten plagues, they were directed at the various gods and beliefs of the ancient Egyptians. And they had many different gods in Egypt and they trusted in those gods and God was trying to tell everybody, these are not gods I am in control in this planet. God actually bore along with the ancient Egyptians, 10 plagues uh, that came to try to help them to allow Israel to go, but to turn to God. God had sent Abraham into Egypt before, many years before, and sadly they wouldn't listen. So now we find these plagues. So let's have a look at them. What we are going to notice in each plague, they are all about where people seek security in the end of time and in the days in which we're living today but we're going to discover for every plague that it's in Christ that we are secure and we are sheltered and safe not in the ideas of men but in God so plague let's get into them now these plagues fall on Babylon the Bible says and all who are part of Babylon and we'll talk about that this afternoon why do these plagues fall on Babylon because of her sins and if we're in Babylon we partake of her sins the Bible tells us and that's what happens notice what the Bible says after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven and he cried mightily with a loud voice God wants people to understand you see because of his heart of love saying with a loud voice Babylon the great he says is fallen is fallen And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. You see the idea? If God's people stay in Babylon, they participate in the sins of Babylon. So he says, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. This is why God calls people out because he doesn't want us to receive these. For her sins, he says, have reached to heaven. That's a lot of sin, isn't it? And God has remembered her sin. So remember it. It's on account of sin that this is happening, that uh, is going to take place. So let's have a look at these plagues. We're going to run through them quickly. But as we come to the end, we are going to see some amazingly gracious good news. So hold on through these plagues, all right? And remember, this come from a heart of a God who loves us. The Bible says the first angel, he went out, he first went out and he poured out his bowl upon the earth. And there fell a terrible and a grievous sore, he says, upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Do you notice where this is directed, this plague? That beast that comes up from the land and those who receive the mark of that beast. We've talked about that beast from the land and we've talked about the mark of the beast. This plague comes on those who take that mark, the Bible tells us. Now, the mark of the beast is directed to those who choose God's mark, the the beast mark. So, God always allows us in the end our choices. He will not force us, but there are consequences to our choices, just like there was with Adam and Eve we saw. So that's why God warns us. You can have your choice, but realize there are consequences to the choices we make in life. These people, they want the beast mark, so. Now they're marked with sores. But what is the beast mark? We saw that the other day. We noticed very clearly when we went to Revelation that it is in the end of time worshipping on a day that man has devised Sunday and not God has given to man. Notice what it says here. We saw this last week from the church's statement. Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible. And this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. We We went through that last weekend. So you see what's happening here is people want that mark, so God allows them their choice. Now how do people receive the mark? How do they choose the mark in the end of time? John tells us, if you notice, he says no one can buy or sell unless they had the mark. One of the main reasons people will take the mark is for financial security in life, so that they can buy and sell. This is finances. They want to be able to survive Buying and selling, economics and so on, so they accept that mark. It's received for economic security, you will notice. Buying and selling. I want that job. I need that job. I cannot trust God. You see, this is the issue. No, my security is in what man says and what man offers. But tragically... The beast's mark fails to deliver economic security. As we saw last weekend, the whole thing comes economically crashing down, and we talked about that. It fails to deliver. My friend, this morning, I want you to know, your security in life today and in the future is not in buying and selling and your job or these things at all. It is in Christ Jesus. So these people, they are marked with sores. That was their choice. God allows them their choice. You see, the Bible reminds us this, that Christ, who is the Lord, Jehovah of the Sabbath, he is your security. That's where your security lies, not in what man suggests in the end of time or today. God allows this plague to come from Satan because People want their choice. God allows them in the end. Number two, plague. Pretty horrific one. Sea turns to blood. Notice what the Bible says here. And the second angel poured out his bowl upon the sea, and it became like the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea, the Bible says. You see, in Revelation, we noticed last week that the seas represent, in John's and Daniel's writings, they represent the masses of humanity, great masses of people. We talked about that. We showed you that in Revelation 17. You see, many people believe that security is found in following the crowd. Isn't that it? You talk about peer pressure from the young people, give me a break. Peer pressure is for the people who are getting up to 80 and 90 as well, let me tell you. We don't want to be different than our family. We don't want to be different than the church we may be going to. We don't want to be different than anybody else often in life, right? We all have a temptation to follow the crowd. And uh, many people think that's where our security lies and what other people think. What my family will think or whatever. But too late, tragically, many people realize, and God allows them their choice. Now now the, the whole seas are full of blood, literally now, the Bible indicates, in the end of time. You see, my friends, it's very important that our security is not found in following the crowd. Our security in life is found in following Christ. Just because someone else doesn't do it, what's right? Don't follow that way. Follow the right way. Just because someone else does it, don't follow, follow the right way. Follow Jesus Christ. This is a good lesson for all of us this morning. Follow Christ. He is our security. That's the only security. Number three plague is an interesting one. The rivers and and the springs of water, the sources of, of water. They turned to blood according to the Bible. Notice what it says here. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and fountains of waters and they became blood. And I heard the angel. Now notice what happened. I heard the angel of the water say, you are righteous, O Lord, who is and who was and is to be, because you have judged the way you have. For they have shed the blood of your saints and your prophets, your people and your your church you know prophets here and you he says have given them blood to drink for this is what they deserve now we have noticed in the bible that God is a just God right God is a just God now as we said sometimes we don't like the justice bits but put yourself in the place of somebody who has suffered great injustice let me tell you you want justice When your name is pushed down to the mud and so on and so forth and you're trounced on, we want justice. You're you're, you're, you're rotting in some prison somewhere unjustly. Don't you want deliverance? Don't you want justice? Of course you want justice. God is a just God. And uh, John says, well, that's what they wanted. They wanted the blood of God's people. Now God allows them their choice. And now tragically, people will go out and have blood to drink. You see... They rejected the water of life from Christ's servants. Christ's servants brought them the water of life, the things of Jesus Christ. They didn't want that. How did they try to avoid that? This is what they do in the end time as well. You see, what happens is they kill God's servants hoping to find security in silencing them because when God's messengers share messages from God, it convicts people of their wrong. And so in order to silence that, Get rid of the messenger. There's no security in doing that, my friend. No security in trying to push away anybody who has the truth. It might be your kid. It might be your parents who comes to you with a message from God, from his word. And we try to silence them in a thousand ways. And one of those ways will be to try to kill them in the end of time. And so God allows these people to have their choice. They wanted blood, the blood of his people. Now, sadly, they have blood to drink. So you can imagine people go to the tap and out comes blood. I mean, what a what a terrific, horrific picture. That's why God warns us, don't go down that track. Plague number four next. But what's this telling us? Our security is found only in accepting Christ's messages. That comes through his servants, not in silencing their voices. Plague number four, the sun scorches people, the Bible says. Notice what John says, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. But I want you to notice the next statement. And they repented not to give him glory. Even though these plagues come, people do not repent. They're a bit like Pharaoh. They, their heart becomes hardened in actual fact. Now what's going on here? Well, you remember, this is another message from God about this Sabbath Sunday thing. You see, this is not a minor issue in the Bible. This is one of the very commandments of God himself. And God wants us to know that he is the Lord of the Sabbath and the sabbath is his because why it reminds us that our roots go back to god that he created us and he provides for us and he will is the one who delivers us so these people they choose the sun the day of the sun so god allows them their choice and they have refused the sabbath god's sign of allegiance to jehovah so god allows them the sun now to scorch them they wanted the sun now there's plenty of sun you see God has to remove his protective hand, and Satan, he does what he wants to do. He wants to destroy people. Now, this is a very important message. Security, you see, is found only in resting in, that is, resting in Jesus, accepting Christ, accepting him, resting in him, and with Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, on his day. This is where our security lies, not in the ideas of men, but in following God. Darkness is the fifth plague. Let's notice what it says here. The Bible says the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the seat of the beast. This means the headquarters, if you would. And his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain. You remember the beast from the land. He tries to get people to worship the beast from the sea. Now, this play comes on the headquarters, the seat of the beast, it says, the beast that comes up out of the sea. Notice what John is telling us here. The seat of the beast, the headquarters of the church of Rome, meaning leadership all around the planet. Why? Because this power, as we're seeing in the end of time, it is mind is set on leading men and women away from Christ and his truth. And God is not pleased because those who follow that which he does will be lost and God loves his children. So God wants justice to come upon and he removes his protective hand and Satan does what he wants to do. You see, people have led people to follow the darkness of error. That's what's happened here. And there's a strong warning for every one of us here this morning. We need to lead by example of Jesus Christ. Because people who follow us, that's where they get their message, many of them. How are we leading ourselves? This is what's going to happen to these, sadly, leaders of the church of Rome, sadly, who have allowed people, led people into the darkness of error. You see, they've rejected the light of the world, and Jesus made it very plain. To reject light is to go out into the darkness. Now, this is literal darkness. All of us... Need to follow the light, Jesus said, lest the darkness come upon us in the end. So now the literal darkness comes and the Bible says people chew on their tongues, such as the agony. I don't know if you've ever been into a dark place. I've been in some caves and I tell you what, you don't want to stay there too long, do you? (laughs) The darkness can be horrible. Well, I don't know about this is an intense darkness for those who have led. But notice again, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they repented not. People after the plagues begin, those upon whom they fall, they are unrepentant. They are not changed in their minds. They may be sorry that the plagues have come upon them, but they're not sorry for their sins. They're not really repentant, and God makes this very plain, that such people who cling to sin, when the time is up, they are not repentant. You see, there's a good message for us. Harden hearts and closed minds. That's what the Bible is saying. You see, that's why God calls all of us, follow the truth now. The Bible never says tomorrow. It always says today. Now is the time. Now, now, now. Because if we continue on in that which is error, when we know the truth, we will harden our minds. And one day we will call error truth and truth error. I've seen it happen. And God is indicating here, these people who persist in this way, they do not repent. Their hearts are hardened and their minds are closed. You see, it's very dangerous to turn away from the Bible truth because it will lead us to darkness as individuals, as families, and as a nation, and as a world. Our security, you see, is found only in following the light of the world, Jesus Christ. This is it. My friend, this morning, are you following the light of the world? of God's word that's your security and my security today plague number six the Euphrates river is dried up it says here notice what the Bible says and the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared what's going on here Let's seek to understand this for just a moment. You will recall in our first program that the Euphrates River was code for Babylon the Great because the city of Babylon in ancient times was on the river Euphrates. In fact, it flowed right through the city of Babylon. They built it on both sides. Remember that. This, when we see the word Euphrates, it's code for Babylon. In fact, for Babylon the Great when we read that word. Now, you will also recall that not only did the Euphrates flow through Babylon but in the time and that means it was the life support system because water flowing into that city was how that city survived you take the water away you're dead meat in an ancient city so that was the life support of this great city so you will recall that King Cyrus we talked about this when he attacked the city of ancient Babylon he dried up the river Euphrates how he lowered the water remember that dug some channels, lowered the water, and was able to get into the city and take the city because the water had been lowered, dried up in that sense. Now Cyrus was the king from the east. Persia is east of Babylon. So because he dried up the river Euphrates, he was able to capture the city of Babylon and deliver God's people, the Israelites, from that city. This is a picture here of destruction of the enemy, To help God's people. That's where it's coming from. John is drawing from the ancient story here. So the waters of the Euphrates, John says, will be dried up. Meaning the masses of people will finally realize that going and being part of Babylon is a dead end road. So people will cease to give their support to this Babylon the Great that's coming, John talks about, which we'll understand this afternoon. The masses of people flowing into it, meaning joining it, meaning supporting this great Babylon system in the end of time, made up of the dragon, the beast from the sea, and the beast from the land. People flock into it, but then too late they realize and they withdraw their support, like the river is dried up. Babylon's life support is people in the end of time. The waters which you saw, remember, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Now, Babylon the Great is made up of those three powers I just mentioned, the dragon, the sea beast, and the false prophet. It's made up of non-Christian religions and ideologies and worldviews. That's part of Babylon. It's also made up, of course, of the dark age. Christian church revived in the end of time, we saw last weekend. And finally, it's also made up of Protestantism and that has lost its way, that is apostate, which means it's unfaithful to God. It's not following the word of God, no longer seeking to put God's principles into practice in their life. These three powers make up Babylon. In other words, it's the whole world, the whole world in the end of time, all religions, whether Christian or non-Christian religions and worldviews that are not following God and his word. That's how the Bible defines Babylon and we'll see it more clearly this afternoon how it works and so on. That's Babylon in the Bible, Babylon the great. So now the support, to this system dries up, John tells us. The three powers of Babylon, you see, they gather everyone to the battle of Armageddon in the end of time. Why? The devil uses deception to bring destruction. That's what Jesus taught. He's a liar and a murderer. And this whole thing is about deceiving people in the end of time. And we'll show you how that's happening today and how it's going to happen. John discloses that. That's why we need to talk more about Babylon the Great this afternoon. And your eyes will be amazed as we see the woman riding on a scarlet-colored beast. So these three powers lead the whole world to Armageddon. Notice how they do it. John says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the beast. They came out of the mouth, sorry, the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast from the sea, that is, out of the mouth of the false prophet. That's the second beast. And you'll see why he's called the false prophet this afternoon. He says, for they are the spirits of what? They are the spirits of demons, devils, he says, performing miracles. So don't miss this afternoon. You're going to see what's going on, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world. To gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And he says they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. It's the battle of God, not man's battle, not a fight between the nations, but the battle of God Almighty. And these three powers called Babylon the Great, they gather everybody by deceptions for destruction we better understand this afternoon. So this is this John says under the sixth plague support is withdrawn too late. People see this thing is leading them to the battle of great day of God Almighty, but it's too late now. That's what the devil's up to. Demonic global deceptions as we'll see this afternoon, signs and wonders from Babylon. Global demonic deceptions you see to lead people to worship Satan himself. And so the support of the people for Babylon dries up, John tells us. Now Jesus comes at this point because Jesus is the king from the east. You see, just like Cyrus came from Persia and delivered the Israelites from ancient Babylon where he dried up the river. So we see Jesus now comes to deliver his people. He's the king from the east. That's the symbol of Cyrus representing Jesus. Notice what the Bible says in Malachi. The day comes, God says, that shall burn as an oven, and all that do wickedly, those who cling to sin, shall be stubble. But to you that fear my name, means to you that love me and respect me, Shall the sun of righteousness, right? The sun of righteousness. Now, of course, the sun always rises where? The sun rises in the east. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. So this is the picture now of Jesus coming. The kings from the east, meaning Christ and his angels who come to deliver his people in the end of time. And then comes the battle of Armageddon. Now Satan has gathered people to that battle. Now comes the battle. That's the seventh plague, and we'll close with the seventh plague. And then we're going to see something marvelous before we leave this morning the Bible says Armageddon is God's battle not man's we just read it then the seventh angel John says he poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying it is done don't miss that word in a moment we'll talk about it more it is done and it is finished and there were noises and there were thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake don't miss the earthquake again as well such a mighty and a great earthquake quake as has not occurred since men were on the earth now he says the great city Babylon the great was divided into three parts the three parts it's made of and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup John says of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath then every island fled away. That's an earthquake, isn't it? And the mountains were not found, and great hail fell from heaven about, upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. That's like about 56 kilogram hailstone. That's a hailstone, isn't it? It's not a marble. Massive hailstones, John says. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Now, you will remember... That Babylon the Great, because it's led people to false worship, that's what it does. It leads people to false worship and in the end it attacks God's people, attacks his remnant or his faithful people in the end of time and that's why John next sees Jesus coming as king of kings and lord of lords on a white horse down the sky. Why? Because this is a picture of a great general, a great king, who must deliver his people from their enemies. And in the end times, those three powers turn on God's people. And so Jesus comes from the east, so to speak, the son of righteousness, to deliver his people... To rescue them that's what's going to happen that's what the Bible calls the battle of Armageddon God must put down their enemies to rescue his friends John says now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it judges and makes war this is the battle you see and his name is called the word of God and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God This is the picture. John says... I saw the beast. That's the one from the sea. I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse. Would you believe it? Making war against Jesus of the Christ coming and against his army. They evidently thought they had a chance. Then the beast, John says, was captured and with him the false prophet who, deceiving those, deceived those who received the mark of the beast. These two, he said, were cast Alive into the lake, burning with fire and brimstone, meaning those two systems were destroyed. And the rest were killed with the sword of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. A picture of destruction. Now, we may not like these pictures, my friend. We may not like them. But they are in this book for a great reason. God can see what's going to happen and he wants us not to be part of that. Thank God he's like a good parent who warns his kids, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Total destruction on Babylon and everyone who stays in Babylon or who is a part of it. That's what's going to happen. My friend, on that day, we will either be going up to meet Jesus or we'll be running from Jesus to the rocks, the Bible says. Let us listen carefully to the word of God. Let us follow what he says. Now, in closing, I want you to notice not one of us on planet earth need receive any of those plagues horrific they are yes but not one of us need have anything to do with those plagues and there's a very good reason I want to take you to the cross because when you go to the cross of Calvary you discover that the seven plagues are actually mirrored in the cross of Calvary there they are mirrored What is going to happen one day is actually, in a sense, took place at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Let's think about it. Those people who take the first plague, Mark of the Beast and so on, they are marked with sores, right? At the cross of Calvary, Jesus was marked for every one of us for eternity. Every one of us. You remember what happened to Jesus at the cross? They push those crown of thorns on his head. You know, when you get to heaven, you're going to see little marks up here, I'm sure, on the head of Jesus. You know, maybe he'll take his shirt off his back or whatever he wears. And we will see those laceration, those scars. Because let me, we talk, those whips that the Roman used, and he got it twice, they would pull chunks of flesh out of his back. What about his... Nail prints, the scars from those prints and in his side and on his feet. Do you not think there are scars? It's like that little girl. She said, Mummy, your hands are ugly because she was scarred all over with her hands. Mummy told her the story of how when she was just a little kid, the house caught on fire and she was trapped in a room and mummy beat the door down and got in there but her hands got badly scarred to, in rescuing her little girl. And when she told the story to a little girl about how her hands had got scarred, the little girl looked at her and said, Mummy, what beautiful hands you have. And that's the truth, isn't it? He was marked. So we will never receive those sores that John talks about. The Bible puts it this way, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, his lashings, you and I are healed. Jesus has taken that plague, in a sense. That's what John is indicating for us. Now, not only that, but the Bible says that Jesus shed his blood it was like there was a, there was an ocean of blood at Calvary wasn't that, isn't that the case it's enough to save every person on planet earth the whole sea of humanity enough and moreover and by him the bible says to reconcile all things to himself at calvary that is by him whether things on earth or things in heaven he made having made peace through the blood of his cross Thank God that there is a mighty, mighty ocean of blood, so to speak, the blood of Jesus Christ. It's sufficient for every person on planet Earth. We talk about the love of God. It's greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. And then that famous song says, could we with ink the ocean fill? You know, could we write the love of God with all the ink that's in the ocean? There wouldn't be enough. Because of the mighty love of our God. What about this one? Jesus is the source of life. Just like the rivers and springs and fountains of water are one day going to turn to blood. Jesus, the source of life, he shed his blood to give life to you and I. How does the Bible, how does that song, uh, words of that song go? There is a river and it flows from deep within. There is a river that frees the soul from sin. And I love those words. Come to this water. There is a vast supply. There is a river that never shall run dry for you and I. He shed his blood like that on Calvary. So we will never have to drink the blood one day. You think about the fourth plague, the sun that scorched men on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus died that day, he cried out, I thirst. No doubt. Hanging on the cross and the Judean sun and so on. I thirst, he said. So you and I will never have to thirst on that day when the plagues come. You think about what happened at the cross. Just like the fifth plague, there is darkness across the whole land on the seat of the beast. So for Jesus Christ at Calvary, it was dark. Wasn't that the truth? The darkness enveloped the place and Jesus seemed to be enshrouded in darkness. Why? Because he who knew no sin became sin for you and I and that's why it was dark at the cross. He entered the very kingdom of Satan for every man, woman and planet, child on planet earth. Wow, what an amazing, Jesus has been there. You think about the support that was drawn, that sixth plague where the rivers into Babylon dry up. Jesus understands what it's like to have support withdrawn, does he not? The Bible tells us very clearly that everybody stood afar off from him at the cross, his disciples. He couldn't find them around. And then you remember even it seemed God the Father had withdrawn his support because Jesus cried out that day, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is so that we will never have to go through a plague where we sense that support is withdrawn from us as parents, from leaders and so on. Jesus has been there. You think of that last plague. At the cross, the Bible says, there was a horrific earthquake. The stones came rolling down the mountain, and a mighty earthquake. Why? Because this is a symbol of the judgment. Jesus took our judgment. That the, the angry bolts of lightning seemed to be thrown at Jesus on the cross of Calvary because he was made sin for you and I. And then on the cross of Calvary, Jesus cried out those words, It is finished. What's finished? What he talked about in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of God's wrath. That's the what cup? He had drunk it dry. It is finished. The cup is empty, my father. So that my people whom I made will never, ever have to go through this. My friend this morning, look at the plagues in a different way from now on. None of us need ever have these things because Jesus, in a sense, has already been there for every one of us. What an amazing God. You and I need to be sheltered in these plagues. And there's only one way to be sheltered in these plagues, and that's through Jesus Christ. And thank God we can come just as we are. You cannot make yourself better coming to Jesus We will become better simply because we come to him. We must come just as we are, sinful and all. And I like the way the Bible puts it. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've gone through the plagues, right? Gone through the plagues. Why have they come out of the great tribulation? Why are they safe? They have washed their robes, John says, and made them white in the blood of God. Of the lamb. My friend, that's our security in what's going to be taking place. And we need to repent or turn from sin. Ask God, Lord, I accept Jesus, but Lord, I give you permission to take what is wrong out of my life. I give you permission to put what is right in my life. That's repentance. God wants both. Come as we are and say, Lord, my life is open to your leading. Please take me. Repent turn from sin. There's only one way to repent and that's by going to the cross of Calvary. Because when we see that God Almighty died in our place, that breaks our rebel hearts and makes us new people. Shall we pray together? Father, the plagues are ugly and yet we have learned that there is a mysterious beauty to them when we look at them from the perspective of the cross because where we should be Jesus placed himself oh father forgive us for sometimes we want our way and not your way in our life may we be like Jesus who lived for the glory of his father we can sense Lord that the world is about to come to these things And we can sense from the great messages of Revelation that there is a God with a great heart that wants nobody to receive these. You know what the devil is up to and what he's about to get up to. And so you call to your children through these angels of Revelation who shout in loud voices on almost every page of the apocalypse a message to save us. Oh God, this morning our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you want to say to God, Lord, I want to sink my life into Jesus Christ. I, I I just want to be found in him. And Lord, I give you permission to do in my life what you want to do. Just raise your hand this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And you just want to say, Lord, I want to just sink my life into the life of Jesus. And I want him... To just lead my life, to do with me what he wants to do for his glory. Thank you, Father, for the hands that are raised. Bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM.